0: In the book of Genesis, last week, and I'm going to try to be careful with this and try to be intentional with it. I know that last week we ended up in a few different portions of Scripture. That's going to happen a lot because I do want to show how Scripture is interconnected so that we can just cement it in our minds. Hey, Scripture is one great big story. Of God. And his plan of redemption. However. I do want to be careful and intentional. Not to. Overdo that. Or overwhelm. With like oh my goodness. There's just so many cross references. And there's so many. And I also want to be faithful to the fact. That we are doing a Genesis study. We're not just doing a Genesis study. And how it cross references with the rest of scripture. Uh, So I do want us to be intentional. About actually focusing on the book of Genesis. With that being said. Last week, we only covered the first two verses. And we talked about right out of the gate, we ought to be humbled and just stand in awe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we talked about having a Christian worldview and uh, the importance of understanding that if we call ourselves a Christian, then we ought to make every effort to think like a Christian to approach life, like a Christian to make our decisions based upon the fact that we uh, claim to be the children of God. The way that we treat others, the way that we think and process through the big questions of life, like why does evil exist, why do bad things happen, why do bad things happen to good people? Remember what we talked about last week. But those big questions that people all throughout the ages have 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 come to. You know, is there a God? If there is a God. Why is there bad things that happen. And so on and so forth. But we. We repeated two words. Over and over again. God is. Period. And the fact that God is. Should shape and mold. Every aspect of our being. Every aspect of our life. We also briefly brought up that going to other portions of Scripture and, and bringing in a more fully developed understanding of the Scriptures as a whole, we can see here in Genesis that we, that we actually have a glimpse of the Trinity. The fact that God is three in one. We know that God spoke all things into existence in the Gospel of John Chapter 1 we are told in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And without Him the Word was nothing made that was made. And we know that the Word is Jesus, second person in the Trinity. So we have God, the Father if you will, speaking the Word, the Son, second person in the Trinity. And then we are told that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of Uh, Or, yeah, over over the face of the waters. And now we come to verse 3. And I'm going to read through these days of creation. And before I do that, one last note. Last week I brought up a question that I did not fully answer. And I will confess that wasn't fully intentional. I actually just simply forgot to circle back around to it. But we talked about the fact that since God is... And He is the Creator of all things. He is worthy to be worshipped. He is worthy of all worship. And what does it look like? How foolish is it when when people decide, well, we're not going to worship God, even though the heavens declare the glory of God. Even though all of creation gives a testimony to the fact that God is. Even though His attributes have been clearly perceived since the creation. Namely, His power... And His authority over all things. What does it look like when people decide we're not going to worship Him? And we did talk about from Romans 1 that um, people suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. But later in Romans chapter 1 it says they worship the creation rather than the Creator. That's what it looks like. So, with that thought in mind, how... um, What it looks like when people say, we're not going to worship God. We don't believe in God. We're going to turn away from that. And then they start to worship the creation rather than the creator. How silly that is because think about this simple fact. If God is the one who brought everything into creation, the heavens and the earth and all that is within them, then God is inherently greater than all of creation. All of creation answers to Him. All of creation is dependent upon God and His power and His strength. And simply by default, if He is the one who created all things, that proves without question, inherently, He is greater. He is worthy to be praised. Why would we worship what the Creator made, rather than worshiping the Creator Himself? It's foolishness. So with that thought in mind, let's look at in detail what was made. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness He called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together He called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. We talked about that a little bit last week. How, you know, who set all this stuff in order? Who is it that decided that apple trees would produce more apple trees and so on and so forth? And so here we have it in detail. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. Plants yielding seed according to their own kinds. Trees bearing fruit in which is their seed. Who decided that that was going to be the case? Anybody ever eat a watermelon and get irritated at the seeds as you get stuck in your mouth? Come on, I saw a couple people chuckle. We've all had it happen. Who decided there was that the seed would be in the watermelon? Good gracious, right? And again, I know last week I think I said uh, something along the lines of some of y'all might be thinking, "Oh, well, you just you you almost got silly with it." But it's not getting getting silly with this concept of God creation uh, creating everything. It's just literally taking it down to the bare bones in simplicity when you. Look at the world. The world shouts that there is an order. There are laws that cannot be broken. There is a way that this world operates. There is a way that this creation operates. There is a reason that when you plant something, it is meant to grow. And when it grows, it is meant to produce more. There is a reason behind that. And the reason is creation is not an accident. We are not here by accident. Creation doesn't exist by accident. There is a purpose behind it. Because there is a creator behind it. And that creator has a purpose and a plan for all that he has done and all that he will do. That is important. The earth brought forth vegetation. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And me personally, this is just a tidbit. Every time I read that, I kind of smile. In other translations, it says like, and He made the stars also. You know, but it's almost like a footnote. I was like, oh, yeah, and by the way, He made the stars too. Like, no big deal. Like, oh, you know those stars up in the sky that nobody can number? That there are stars up there we can't even see. You know, the whole solar system thing. We look up in the sky and we say, wow, how beautiful. Here in Scripture, it's just like, again, it's almost like a little footnote. He made the greater light to rule the day and the lesser, night, uh, lesser light to rule the night. And the stars also. No big deal. Because it's God we're talking about. And God set them in the expanse of the heaven to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves. With which the water swarm. According to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the season. And let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. It is good that all the living creatures multiply. That they reproduce after their own kind. In the same way that the vegetation and the trees produce after their own kind all of the sea creatures all of the animals all the all the winged birds they produce they reproduce after their own kind and that is a charge that is a command that creation received from god and god said let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds livestock creeping things beasts of the earth according to their kinds and it was so And at this point, we get here and we say, all of creation was meant for us to enjoy, but not just enjoy. What do we just read? Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps. And that's not just a, oh, God made us... And we're on the top of the food chain, baby. We can do whatever we want. We are made in His image. We are to have dominion over the earth and exercise dominion over the earth to subdue the earth, but we subdue the earth as those who are made in His image. We subdue the earth. We subdue creation being a reflection, an image bearer of God and who He is. There is a way in which we are to be over the earth. But verse 27 says, God created man in His own image and in the image of God He created him. Male and female He created them. Which we'll, we'll come back to that to make a very simple yet pointed, blunt point that can't be confused. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that He had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning. The sixth day. So today we're just going to be making some observations. We will hit some of those broader points about Christian worldview. And God is. But to start with, if you noticed, after every day, it... It literally says, and there was evening and there was morning. I don't want to belabor this point because I don't think that there's anybody here in this congregation that would think otherwise. But Scripture is, is clear, and God makes it clear that we are talking about literal days 24 hour time periods. There was evening and there was morning. The first day. There was evening. There was morning. The second day. There's not too many ways you could try to construe that in such a way that you get confused about it. If we're talking to one of our family members or co-workers or friends and we say, well, yesterday I woke up. During the morning, I did X, Y, Z. Then during the evening time, I did X, Y, Z. And then I went to bed. There's no way whoever we're talking to is going to say, wow, that's amazing. That's so you lit, You've lit yesterday. You lived like a million years. You'd say, "Did you not? Did you not hear what I just said?" Like in the morning, I did this, and then in the evening, I did this, and then I went to bed. Where are you getting millions of years from? Where are you getting a long period of time from? I'm talking about a day, you You say, and some of y'all are looking at me now, like, "What is Caleb talking about?" There are many people that simply, many people who call themselves Christians, and, and that was a silly example, I confess that. but there are many people who even call themselves Christians that will say, God, I believe that God created everything, but there's no way He did it in six literal days. There's just no way. You know, science has proven that the earth is millions or billions of years old, and so if God really created everything in six days and time started there, then really, We're looking at an earth that maybe isn't even like 10,000 years old yet. And that's just ridiculous because science has proven, proven millions and billions of years. Scripture's clear. Furthermore, if you want to do a word study, the Hebrew word for day in this account is yom. If you look up the word yom, in the Old Testament, every time that it is used, you will find you will say, oh, well when the word Yom is used, it's talking about twenty four hour time periods. So even if you were to use it even if you were to say, Well, I want to do a scholarly deep level Bible study on the creation account, you would still be forced to come to the conclusion that, oh, it is talking about twenty four hour days. But like I said, I don't want to belabor that. I don't think there's anyone here who believes in the day-age theory or the gap theory or anything such as that. So, note that first. Whenever, when, if you ever come across somebody who says, Well, I'm a Christian too, but I don't believe in that whole six-day creation thing. Just ask them point blank. How do you get around the fact that it literally says there was evening and morning and it was the first day? There was evening and morning and it was the second day. How do you get around that? How do you try to weasel your way out of that? And have that conversation with them. You say, Caleb, is it really that important? If somebody says they're a Christian, is it really a big deal whether they believe in a six-day creation or not? Yes, for this reason. If they can look at one portion of Scripture and say, that's not what it means then they can look at any of the other Scriptures and they can bring themselves to the conclusion that's not what that really means. And they don't have a problem with it. When people can come before the Word of God and say, "Nope, that's not what that actually means. Or what they're trying to say is this. And they don't have a problem with it. That they don't realize what they're doing is changing the Holy Word of God. That's a big issue. When people are brazen enough... To come before the Word of God and say, wrong, here's what He really meant. Yes, I would say that that's a big deal. So that's the first thing. Secondly, notice everything that God said, all of creation obeyed Him. You can go through... Um, Verse 9 says, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Every time He spoke, it was so. Let the earth sprout vegetation, plant yielding seed, fruit trees bearing fruit in which their seed is, uh, each according to its own kind on the earth. And it was so. When God spoke, creation obeyed. Obedience. What does that mean? God truly has the authority over all creation. Creation obeys. He is truly the sovereign of all creation. All authority belongs to Him. He speaks, and it was so. Again, when you get down to the, to the later portion there, you realize, okay, well, when He got to man, one thing real quick, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. Again, I would say that that's a, a little glimpse or a window into the fact that God isn't talking to, to angels. Angels are their own separate created entity. We are not angels. Angels are not mankind. God is not simply an angel. So who is, what is this? Let us make man in our own image. I think yet again we have a glimpse or a window into the fact that there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And they are three distinct persons, yet they are one being, God. But he says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then in verse 28, he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and every other living thing that moves on the earth. So fill the earth and subdue it. So, we realize God created all these things and He wants He wants mankind to enjoy His creation. He wants mankind to kind of oversee, subdue His creation. There's a purpose behind it. There's a meaning behind it. Again, last week we talked about God could have made it to where all food tastes the same. That we don't get to enjoy... Different tastes, different seasonings, different herbs, different spices, different foods. But He didn't make it that way. God could have made it to where we walked outside and there was nothing within us that said, that's beautiful. But there is something inherently within creation that draws admiration and awe out of us. And what is that? It points us to the Maker. It points us to the Creator. Again, Psalm 19, if you want to to turn there briefly, Psalm 19 makes very plain. The heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims His handiwork. It's literally as if creation is shouting. The heavens declare. To God be the glory. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Look what God has done. God did this. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. We cannot escape it. The creation proclaims and declares God is. Is God did this? God made everything, you, everything around you, the heavens above us. God made it all. That is made plain, like we read last week from Romans one. Man suppresses the truth in their unrighteousness. The attributes of God have been clearly perceived. Since the creation. We are without excuse. We are without excuse. Their voice goes out through all the earth. And their words to the end of the world. God has surely created all things. He has authority over All things. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims His handiwork. (laughs) What is the only right and proper response to that? To worship Him. To give Him the glory that He alone is worthy of. That is the only right and proper response. And we are told... That we are to subdue the earth. That we don't even have the right to enjoy. But God says, this is the plan. We've created everything. Man is to enjoy it. Man is to subdue it. We are to to oversee. And we are made in His image. So again, I want to come back to that. That does not mean that we're simply in charge. We can do whatever we want to do. We are to be a reflection of God's goodness. We are to be stewards of God's goodness to all of the creation. And there is great purpose behind that. Nothing else in all of creation was made in the image of God. Nothing else in the rest of creation was made in the image of God. That does not mean... That God looks like us or that we look like God. Made in the image of God simply points to the fact that God has set us apart. God has made us. We are relational beings. We can, we can reason. We can think and process through things. And God has given us a certain type of authority or extent of authority over His creation. That should humble us. That that alone, again, that alone should cause us to stand in awe and say, not only did God make everything, He made it in such a way, He wants us to enjoy His creation. And He made creation in such a way that it draws our attention simply right back up to Him." Notice I swear, in the days... In the days of creation it even says he he put the stars and the, the the greater light and the lesser light and he put all these things in place for for signs and seasons and days and years and and um, and so on and so forth. Now keep in mind God is outside of time. We could talk about that more. I'm I'm not gonna belabor that one either. That one will really bog you mind when you try to start to contemplate, oh, he's outside of time. But God is outside of time, we are inside of time. We are the ones who need to understand to some extent, okay, day, night, seasons, years, time. Time is a concept that we are constrained by. We know inherently we have a limited amount of time on this earth. Scripture says your life is but a vapor. God is eternal outside of time. God doesn't have a starting point. And God doesn't have a, a a time where God is going to come to an end. No. God always has been. He always will be. So God didn't put things in place so that we could have days and seasons and years for His sake. But for us. Think about time just for a moment. Time can be utilized wisely time could be wasted. We say things like, well, we spent our time doing this. So, I guess you could say in a way time could be spent. But once you spend that time, you're not getting it back. You don't get time back. The clock is ticking, so to speak. Right? When it comes to our lives... The clock is ticking. Our days have been numbered. We will not live on this earth in our physical bodies forever. The clock is ticking. So when we put all these things together, we say, okay, well, God put us on His creation for a certain amount of time. What are we doing that time? What is... What is the best way possible we could actually utilize that time? Making His glory known. Proclaiming His name to the nations. To all those around us. We could use that time to subdue the earth. To be good stewards of what He has given us to even the lives that we live, the words that we say, the actions that we perform, all of it points back to Him and is glorifying to Him and acceptable in His sight. But then you just think about the creativity behind it all. The fact that God God came up with this whole system. That there would be winter, winter, Spring, and summer, and fall. And even with that, what do those seasons represent? We know in springtime what what starts to happen. When you think about the plants and the vegetation and everything else, the flowers that you might have planted in your yard, what happens when spring rolls around? They bud and bloom. Life. Life. And all throughout the summer, you, you kind of enjoy them throughout the summer. I say kind of enjoy them. You might not enjoy having to prune the things that you have in your yard and so on and so forth. But then towards the end of summer, rolling into fall, what starts to happen? Dying. They die. Yes. Then during the winter, you got celebrating that the plants are dying back there. <laughs> yeah, that's a in, in the winter... You don't see things that are blooming and and blossoming and everything. No, it's cold, frigid. Maybe not so much here in South Georgia. We don't get a whole lot of winter. But what does that cycle even prove? Death, life, death, life, death. Day and night. The sun rises. You have daylight. The sun starts to set, you have not. So even that is in a 24-hour cycles. Daylight, dark. Daylight, dark. Time. You hear people say, time flies. Never have enough time. I, I feel like I can't catch up. I feel like time's slipping away from me. It's a powerful concept to consider. But all of these things are meant to be recognized by creation, by mankind, as all of this. All of it. Points back to God. And all of this should be used, utilized for His glory, to proclaim His great power and His great majesty over all things. All of it for Him. All of it for Him. So with that being said, go back to what I mentioned at the very beginning. Because God created all of this, including us, that means He is inherently greater. He is inherently more. He is inherently worthy of worship and praise and adoration over and above anything else that He created. Right? It would be foolish to say, well, I'm going to worship nature because I just feel like nature is one of the most powerful forces on earth. You can't stop nature. You, whenever that hurricane's rolling in, you can't just stop a hurricane. Whenever there's a tornado, you can't just stop a tornado. Well, it, it, nature is just this powerful force to be reckoned with, and I'm going to worship Mother Nature. Who who created any of that? Amen. Then you get into lesser things like <coughs> Buddhism. I believe it's Siddhartha Gautama looked as the founder. Buddhism, that's a person. Well, God made mankind. Why would we choose? To worship a man. Just a man. Rather than worshiping the one who made all of mankind. You go to other nations in the world. And and some of them literally they will build idols that are simply animals. Read the Old Testament. We talked about it a little bit in Sunday school this morning. But a lot of those... A lot of the idol worshiping that was going on, a lot of it was connected to just animals, created things, created beings. And it's it's easy in a setting like this to say, oh I know the preacher's preaching about God, he's got his Bible open, when he's talking about worshiping idols and worshiping animals. I know that's foolish, that's crazy. But I want us to take a moment to to, to think seriously about that. And with that thought, consider, go back to what God said about man. Let them have dominion over fish of the sea, birds of the heavens, livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Whenever mankind decides, well, we're going to revere and honor and worship a creature. They are literally taking God's created order and flipping it on its head and saying this is better. That is why idolatry is such a heinous, grievous sin. It is utter rebellion against God and His authority over all things. Furthermore, let us I'm going to cheat a little bit and skip ahead. We haven't gotten there yet. But... The fall. When Adam and Eve first sinned. Who were they listening to? Serpent. The serpent. The command from God was, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over every living thing that moves over the earth. And rather than having dominion and authority... Over the serpent, they listen to the serpent. So even in that, you see it right out of the gate. It is a reversal of what God spoke and what God commanded. You will have dominion over all the creatures. Over everything that moves upon the earth. And then, in chapter 3, as we're going to see later on, See, they actually listen to and are persuaded by the serpent. That is the foolishness of idolatry. And real quick, if you'll turn to Romans 1 with me, I just want to read those couple of verses that I didn't make it back to last week. His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world In the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Romans 1 verse 21 now. Although they knew God. They did not honor Him as God. Or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise. They became fools. And exchanged the glory of immortal God. For images resembling mortal man. And birds and animals. And creeping things. What does it look like when people turn aside from God and turn away from God? What will they worship? Because we as human beings, we're going to worship something. That's what it looks like. They exchange the glory of immortal God for images of birds and beasts and creeping things, and they start to worship the creation over the Creator. That's what it looks like. Then He says, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. So God gives creation. He sets everything in order. He gives mankind dominion over that creation. And then He he also provides for all of creation so that life may continue. All of the beasts, all of the creeping things, everything. Mankind, we have food so that we may continue on and so that we can be obedient to the commands of God. Briefly, first three verses of chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, all of the host of them. On the seventh day God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all His work that he had done in creation. So lastly I'll say this. I hope everything we've looked at today, I hope it has helped you understand how straightforward and simple the creation account really is. Now it's magnificent, it's miraculous. God is speaking all of these things into existence. But when we when it comes down to you say okay, well God spoke, there were 6 days, all of creation obeyed God. There was no kickback from creation. God set everything in order. He rested on the seventh day. There's not too much that you could put into that to complicate it. It's straightforward. Another thing that is straightforward that sadly needs to be mentioned in the world that we live in today. Go back to verse 27 of Genesis 1. God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God didn't forget about any genders that were supposed to be there that aren't there. God did not say to be continued. Male and female, He created them on purpose. Male and female, only male and female, when they come together, only male and female can be fruitful and multiply. In other portions of Genesis, we'll, we'll talk about that specific topic in even, in even more detail. Because it is God who instituted um, marriage and family. And God is the one who defines marriage and family. But for sake of this sermon, I'll leave it at that. That, that. There's nothing confusing about that. There's nothing that we could... I don't think there's anybody that could read that and take a step back and say, I wonder what he meant by that. Male and female... He created them. Anything, anything, no matter how accepted it is by the world, anything that is contrary to male and female, He created them, is an affront and rebellion against God and His authority over all creation. And it needs to be addressed as such. You don't say, well, you know, especially, in, and now, it, if we're talking about non believers, who aren't claiming to believe the Word of God, okay, show more mercy and grace and compassion. But if when we have supposed brothers and sisters in Christ that are saying, well, I, I really do believe there's more than two genders. And I really believe that God's okay with that. And I believe we need to start celebrating that and we need to start embracing that. Listen. Listen. Listen, we could have conversations with that supposed brother or sister in Christ before the Word of God, but if that supposed brother or sister in Christ continues to say, nope, I I see what you're showing me here, but there's more than two genders and God will celebrate it and God will accept it, that supposed brother or sister in Christ is not your brother or sister in Christ. Because they are in open-faced rebellion against God and His Word and His created order. It is that plain, And we need to have the love towards others to tell them the truth. If someone is claiming to be a Christian, but coming before the Word of God and saying that God will celebrate things, and God will accept things that are directly contrary to His Holy Word, then we need to love that person enough to say, you don't truly know God. Because the one true God will not celebrate or accept anything that He has said is against His created order, is against His Word. God cannot condemn it and accept it at the same time because God can't be contrary to Himself. And we need to be willing to have those conversations. Now, I don't want to end the sermon or end the service strictly on that because I know that topic draws a lot of ire and emotion out of people. I will challenge you with this. Don't just get emotional when that topic comes up. Be able to reason and think through that topic. <clears throat> the lost and dying world doesn't just need us to tell them, Oh, you big dummy, I can't believe you think thinking. Don't you know better? Don't you know God says that's a sin? Explain to them. Be able to explain to them and show them from Scripture why it's a sin. But here's how I want to close. Isaiah chapter 40. keeping the creation account in mind. I simply want us to read from Isaiah 40. And then I'll pray. And we'll be done. I am going to read a good portion of Isaiah 40, so I would ask you to listen intently. And again, consider the greatness and the majesty of God who created all things simply... By his word. Isaiah 40 verse 9. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand, and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows Him His counsel? Whom did He consult? And who made Him to understand? Who taught Him the path of justice and taught Him knowledge and showed Him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as as the dust on the scales. Behold, He takes up the coastlands like a fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for burnt offerings. All the nations are as nothing before Him. They are accounted by Him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with Him? An idol? A craftsman cast it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for forth silver chains? He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in it? Who brings princes to nothing, and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness?' Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when He blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare Me that I should be like Him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of His might, And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You. We praise You for Your power and Your might that is displayed in all of creation. God, I pray in these simple thoughts that have been shared from Scripture this morning that we would consider that You alone are worthy to be praised. That we are to honor and exalt You